welcome back, everybody, to the Yearbooking Report podcast. I'm Sky Geezy from Jostens. I'm a 20-year Jostens representative, also a lifelong journalist, and honored to be a JEA certified journalism educator. And we hope you're getting some great insights and ideas and tips from our Yearbooking Report podcast series. In this episode, we're going to talk about writing. Uh Uh-oh, yes, writing. In my two decades of doing this, as soon as I mention the word writing, students in the room will maybe give me glazed looks or the deer in the headlights look, or they'll look down, he's not looking at me, he's not looking at me, that kind of an attitude, eye rolls. For some reason, kids and writing, for some reason, don't go together. But of course, when it comes to yearbooking, Yes, it is crucially important to include good writing on the pages of your yearbook. It's not just a picture book. Why is that important? Well, recently we talked with our new friend Bobby Hawthorne. Now, for folks that are really into scholastic journalism, Bobby is, shall we say, a rock star of that particular world. His book, The Radical Right, spelled W-R-I-T-E, no politics here, please, His book, The Radical Right, is used by so many scholastic journalism advisors across the country, newspaper, yearbook, maybe even broadcast in other areas too. It is a definitive guide on good writing in this modern day and age. And we recently caught up with him to try to tackle this problem. What is it about yearbooks and writing? Now, we'll mention one quick note. We did an online interview with Bobby. And at times we had a little technical trouble, but rather than go back and record this entire interview again, which we didn't want to do, we went with it. You may hear a few times in this podcast interview where Bobby and I are kind of talking over each other just a little bit. Yeah, got to love technology, right? little technical glitch. Hope that you can put up with that. So we caught up with Bobby to get some insight. What can we do with writing in the yearbook? All right, first off, Bobby, we really appreciate you taking some time to be with us today. I think you said something, were you kidding, about 400 phone calls, or do you really take that many calls a day? But it's, you know, I'm getting calls from everybody wanting me to either give them money or to vote for this candidate or vote for that candidate. You know, if you ever accept one phone call or answer one email, then you put (laughs) yourself into this death spiral. Where every it's you know it's like a virus replicating itself, and so you just get phone calls from everybody. So All right, well, good. I don't feel alone then. Uh, we're pretty much in that same sinking boat, I suppose. But anyway, now a lot of folks, I think, you know, tune into this podcast uh, when we do this once a month. So some people I know absolutely know who you are, and they know about the radical right, which we'll talk about in a moment. But maybe especially for those folks who um, let's say they don't have a well-developed journalism program at their school and so on. Maybe they don't know who you are. Let's start. Tell us something about yourself, your background. You know, why are you doing this? How long have you been doing this and so on? Um, I've been doing this since, well, I was in high school journalism. I was in a small school in East Texas. I was on the newspaper and the yearbook staff. But in a small school like that, you're you know, they just need bodies, so, you know, you can be part of anything you want to be. But I happen to be pretty good at journalism at an early age. I'm not saying that egotistically. I'm just saying it. There's, there were so many things that I couldn't do that I could do this. And so I was uh, very active in it, and I learned 
pretty early on that this is what I wanted to do for a living. So um, in high school, I, like I said, wrote for both publications and I got a part-time job at the local newspaper being a stringer, writing sports. And then I went to college, went to the University of Texas and got a degree in journalism and went back to East Texas and worked in journalism for a couple of years. And then I was able to return to the University of Texas as a media liaison for an organization that sponsors all this high school activities, sports, uh, music, and all these academic activities, including scholastic journalism. But I was really more of a media guy. That was why I was hired. But a year or two after I went to work for the league, uh, the guy that was the journalism director had a heart attack and was required to, he had to take a medical retirement. So uh, they did a thorough search of the second floor of the building and decided <laughs> I was the most qualified person to replace him. <laughs> so I was not really entirely prepared for the job, but my boss thought I could do it and, and I did it. So I, was, I became the director of journalism for UIL in 1979. And then that put me in touch with all these people like uh, Colonel Chuck Savage and Jim Pascal and the people at the Columbia Scholastic Press Association, the people at the Journalism Education Association. And I just, you know, I, I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the people. I was there for 28 years. And I retired from the UIL in 2006. And then for the last, God, it's hard to believe it's been 12 years, but I mostly just, I do a lot of writing myself. And I do a lot of uh, editing and I do a lot of teaching. So I'm, I'm really doing what I want to do right now. I just got to the point in administration where I was, I've told many people this, that when you get to the point where the building's on fire and kids are running out of flame and you don't care, it's time to get out of administration. And that's kind of where I got to. And um, I wanted to spend more time doing the writing and the, and the teaching. Uh, in fact, I'm doing a revision of the Radical Right right now, and I'm trying to, I'm going to probably use a number of the pieces that I've written in the last 12 years in the book because the formula that I've used for myself is exactly the same formula that I recommend the students use. And I know it's doable, and I know the process, and I'm trying to say is if you'll just, you know, spend the time to go through the process, you can write the same kind of stories I'm writing. And it's the kind of writing I recommend. So that's that's what I'm doing there. Um, I I still I was at a high school journalism convention Saturday in San Antonio. It was the Texas um, THA Texas Association of Journalism Educators, and so I'm still very close to scholastic journalism. I don't see myself ever really leaving it. There are journalism teachers, I'm sure, all over the country. If they don't have the radical right on their bookshelf, they've at least heard of it. Now, there may be some who haven't, so, and and write, by the way, folks, is W-R-I-T-E. We're not talking politics here. That's something else. That's the people calling for money. Um, for folks who aren't familiar, what is this book? Why is this book needed? Why should people use it? You know, it's funny. Um, when I was going through journalism school and in my early days, I actually was a reporter, like I said, and the inverted pyramid was king. I mean, everybody wrote the inverted pyramid. and uh, But that was back when there was no internet. And, and really, there was only three channels on the television. And 
the access to news was pretty limited, and people really did break news through, you know, print. You could have a, a story in the newspaper that said, you know, building burns and nobody knew about it until the paper came out. But that's not true anymore. Certainly not true now. Um, today, news is instantaneous, but at the time that I wrote the book, even, it wasn't particularly true. Uh, the radical part of it was saying, it's time to get rid of the inverted pyramid. It does not work for yearbooks, period. I mean, nobody waits a year to get news. And high school newspapers were, there were some weekly papers back then. There were some bi-weekly papers, but most of them were, not, were becoming monthly. Nobody waits a month for their news. So it was like, we, we just are just telling people things they already know. And we're not telling it to them very well. We're just, you know, the art club will meet at seven o'clock tomorrow to talk about art. You know, people who are going to talk about art include members of the art club. You know, that, and then you have some stupid quote that says, "Some I like being in art club. It lets me express my creativity. And I've seen that story written about a million times. And it's still being written in lots of places. And that is not news. It's not journalism. So the radical part was to say, Let's just take all these old formulas and get rid of them and start something new. And uh, something new is an attempt to tell stories, mostly, by and large, um, to say, this is not what happened. Everybody knows what happened. This is not what's going to happen. Everybody knows what's going to happen. This is trying to explain what it means and, what, and, and to tell a profound story where you interview people who have experience and have uh, authority and they're saying something that nobody knows and that's and and telling stories where people will in, they'll actually read it and enjoy it and learn something from it and there's not a lot of that and even today in scholastic journalism i mean you take the top tier programs of course but you get below that is then this is endless repetition of this this same old the prom will be held this year, you know, what is a prom, you know, kind of thing. So that's the right part of it, is like ditch the old formulas and just wander off into the frontier and see what we end up with. Now, I'm curious, a little bit ago you said you're doing some revisions to the book right now. What, with the current state of flux, I guess, in journalism in general, I'm curious, what are the revisions? What, what's changed? Well, uh, for me, it's, uh, again, given that I've done a lot of uh, writing personally in the last, and feature writing, profiles, column writing, and all that kind of stuff, I've, I myself have seen all the, I remember the old rules, and I'm like, they don't really make sense, and I'm not going to follow them anymore. So, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, there's stories where I'll use first person and I'll mix first and second person and I'll mix first, second and third person. Um, I'll just open with a quote lead. I mean, I'll, I'll take all these old, you know, firm rules that everybody was talking about. You can't violate this, you can't violate. And I violate it all the time. Now, the difference is I've been doing this for 50 years and I know what I'm doing. But mostly, many of the kids I work with are pretty smart kids and it doesn't take them long to figure out what the basic is, what the fundamentals are, and then to make that big leap to the next stage. And so a lot of it is that. The, 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 the boundaries between what we used to call news and the features and opinion are all kind of murked out right now. And you're not sure where you're at in that. In fact, more often than not, news is history. 
features is news and opinion is features. So that's, that's a whole lot of it is just talking about don't worry so much about formula. Worry about communication. Worry about narrative. And um, try, to, try to give readers something that's indispensable. When I'm teaching kids, one of the first things I tell them is that I can find information any place else. If it's on their PA, if it's in the, on the website, the school website, if it's on the back of a soup can, on a bathroom wall, I'm going there first. Your publication is probably the last place I'm going to go for actual information. So if you're going to be indispensable, you've got to give people stuff they can't find anywhere else. And, um, and that's a challenge because, you know, everybody's got access to data because, you know, you have Instagram and you've got Twitter and you've got all these other social media platforms where if something happens, boom, it's, everybody knows it. Nobody waits to find out, you know. You got radio, you got television. So what you have to do is go farther. You have to go to say, what does this mean to us in this cool, in this community? We're in a little town in Kansas. We're in a little town in central Pennsylvania. Okay. Now it probably means something far different to the people that live downtown Los Angeles or, you know, uh, 50 miles south of San Antonio than it does you know, in some little town, you know, outside Allentown. So it's, it's finding the story and how it relates and what it means. We'll get back to more with writing expert and instructor Bobby Hawthorne in just a bit. Now, for most high school advisors out there, recently you should have received the brand new fall edition of the Jostens Advisor and Staff Magazine. ANS is, oh, I'm a little biased, of course, but it is the best yearbooking magazine out there in the industry. It always has terrific stories, great insight, interesting success stories, people out there yearbooking and really doing it right. Problem is, a lot of folks will get ANS, they might take a, give a quick glance, and then they'll kind of toss it aside. Hopefully, you're not doing that. So if you are a high school advisor and you receive the new Advisor and Staff magazine, a gentle thought, just pick it up and read it cover to cover. Maybe over Thanksgiving break, maybe as we get closer to uh, Christmas break and so on, find some time to page through the pages of ANS, the fall, new fall edition, and you won't be disappointed. There will be some great ideas, including some on writing, that you can utilize with your own staff. So definitely check out the new Jostens Advisor and Staff Magazine. You should have received that probably second week of November. If you are perhaps a junior high or a younger group advisor, don't normally send ANS to those folks, but if somehow you want one or you'd like to get your hands on one, contact your Jostens representative. I'm sure they can find a way to get you a spare copy. Now let's get back to more on writing with Bobby Hawthorne. All right, now let's localize this to kids a little bit because I've been at the yearbook world for two decades and I've done a million presentations. And as soon as I mention the word writing, I get some glazed looks in the room. Yeah, like that, glazed looks, or the kids will look down at their desk, essentially, don't look at me, I'm not really here. 
as soon as I mention that word writing, so just sort of an open-ended question, in your opinion, why is writing so difficult for so many school students out there? Why do they have such a tough time with this? Because they've been taught not how not to write. <laughs> I don't want to turn your, you know, offend anybody, but they've been taught how not to write. They've been told, change your voice into some other language. All right, don't tell a story. None of these kids have trouble talking. You know, you can put a kid down and say, uh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I did this, I did this. Oh, tell me about it. They'll tell you about it. They don't have any trouble. You say, well, write it. And they go, freeze up. Like, oh, you mean like put it into Mandarin? I can't do that. And that's what we've done. And let me tell you a story about this. In this room right here, this is my office. Right outside this office is a ladder that goes up to my roof. I mean, up to our attic. So our air conditioning is up in the attic. And so the air conditioner went out or something up there happened. Anyway, we had to call some guys and they send two people out. They send this big old guy and a little guy. So the big guy goes up in the attic, little guy standing right there at this door and he looks in here and he says, are you a writer or something? And I said, yeah, that's it. I'm a writer or something. And he said, I hate to write. And I said, well, when you were in high school, you were forced to write about stuff uh, that you didn't care about in a voice that wasn't your own. And he thought for a second, he goes, that's exactly right. So I said, well, if you could have written about anything, what would it have been in a voice of your own? He said, probably motorcycles. And I said, well, why didn't you write about motorcycles? Oh, they wouldn't let me. I said, well, if I'd been your teacher and I could have let you, I, that's what you would have written about. You would have written about motorcycles. And I would have read about motorcycles and we both would have learned something. So he thought, well, that would have been a cool. I said, well, why don't you tell me a story about motorcycles? And he said, well, I don't, I don't have any stories. And I said, dude, I used to have a motorcycle. If you got a motorcycle, you got a story. So when did you get your first motorcycle? And he literally says, <laughs> oh, that's an interesting story. I said, well, you just told me you didn't have any stories. So he says, oh, well, I had an uncle that wanted to sell me a Honda 125 or something like that, Honda 110 or what, one of those small little yam, yam, yam bikes. And, uh, for a hundred dollars. And so I went to my mother and said, uh, can you give me a hundred dollars? And mom said, no way. Because she'd been an emergency room nurse and she'd seen what had happened to people on motorcycles. But he wouldn't take no for an answer. So he kept bothering her and hectoring her and, you know, begging and cajoling. And finally one night at dinner, dad comes in and pulls out his wallet and takes five $20 bills and lays it on the table and says, go buy the bike. If you kill yourself, we'll miss you. And I said, dude, you just wrote a story. And he said, no, I didn't. I said, you did. I said, if I taped that or recorded that and transcribed it, I wouldn't have to change two words. You told a story. It was a natural story in your own voice. Well, that's what that's what I'm looking for. I, I want kids to just tell a story. Just tell a natural story in their own voice. And the best way to do it is to record. You know, just to take these phones with a little recording on there and go out and ask kids, other kids, interesting questions. Like, what was the best this? What was the worst that? What was the highest? What was the lowest? What was the least? What was the most? So what? What if? What now? What next? And ask these questions instead of going out and doing this, go texting them, you know, sending them a text and say, what was the best part of prom? And every answer begins with 
the best part of crime was dash. Guess what it was? It was dancing. It was dancing with friends. It was dancing with friends to music. That was it. That's all I got. Instead of saying, what's the one moment during the prom you will never forget? Now that's, that leads you something. I, I interviewed a, a girl who was a homecoming queen candidate, and she didn't win. But I asked her, I said, when you were standing out there on the field, you know, in the stands, your parents and your friends and family and all these other people, what were you thinking? She said, well, I was standing out there in my little dress, and it was cold, and I kept saying to myself, just smile, look happy, everybody's watching. And I thought, that's perfect, that's all I wanted. But I've never seen a quote like that in a high school yearbook. All I get is, homecoming was fun, we're so glad we had homecoming, that kind of stuff. So the better part of good journalism is just asking the right person the right question, and it opens up an entire universe of narrative. So, and again, um, if you can if you can show kids how to trust their voice, and we you know we have editors, we have spell check, we have all these ways to correct it later, but you cannot correct dead on arrival content. If if, if it comes in and it's impeccably written, it's beautifully written, every word, every comma, every everything is perfect except it doesn't say anything. Throw it away. Start over. I'd rather have something come on, come in that's grammatically bad, but says something. Because I can work with that. But I can't work with art was fun. It let me express my creativity. This year we practiced because we hope to get better. I've seen that quote. So uh, a whole lot of this is not about writing. It's about reporting. And it's about trusting, asking the right question, and then writing it in a way that is, is true to the sound of a teenager. And that's, that, your book should be, that's what your book should be. And honestly, you wouldn't even have to write it. You could just get a good quote and run it as a standalone quote. And you wouldn't even have to mess with it. Just clean it up, fix it a little bit, and run it as standalone. You'd be doing a world of good. I don't have any of that in my high school yearbook. Every, every bit of copy, and by the way, I wrote much of the copy. It's just, it was dead the minute it hit the paper. Um, there's, you know, there's nothing in it that I remember that I can go back and read and go, oh, yeah, boy, I remember that. I mean, the photographs you look at and you go, yeah, I kind of remember the photographs, but there's no words. And I would like to know what words I would have used when I was 16 years old. All right. Now, this may seem like a silly question for you and me and a number of other people, but not for other folks. Why is writing in the yearbook so important? I have this conversation with kids probably too often. And these are the kids, all they want to do is take pictures, which is great. That's fine. Then I want to write. Uh, we don't need that in the yearbook. Your perspective, why is the writing in the yearbook so important? What they're, what they're telling you is that they're too lazy to write. They're not saying it's not important. They're just saying, we don't want to do it. It's hard. You know, it's, They'll say, oh, yeah, well, we, we that's not what we want to do. And I go, well, don't you want to capture the story of the year? Isn't that the purpose of the yearbook? And by the way, the purpose of a yearbook is not for next year. It's for you. It's something you keep the rest of your life. And, you know, if it's good enough, you'll thumb through it. And, it'll, you know, it'll remind you what it was like to be there at that time. So you can't do that with photographs alone because your memory is going to fade 
you're going to forget who people are and you're going to forget what the sound and the look and what people were talking about and all this other stuff. So you simply cannot produce a yearbook without words. But it's not just, you know, they'll think, well, we're just going to put some words in there. And then it'll be like what I'm talking about a minute ago. It's just this static, dead-on-arrival words, you know. The, the purpose of the art club was to allow students, again, this year, as in last year and every year, to produce art. Or it'll say something like, this year's student council was involved in many activities. Well, every year's student council is involved in many activities. So what do you say? What do you, what do you write? You say, this year, well, let me tell you what, I interviewed a story yesterday about a student council in a school that has created a, um, basically a goodwill program in their, you know, goodwill stores. They, they take in all these clothing and shoes and all this kind of stuff, and they give it away. And it has been a pretty magnificent success. And they did it because one of the students at their school two years ago died. And he, they always said he, had, he would give you the shirt off his back. And so what they're doing now is they're collecting shirts. And they're giving them away to honor this kid that died. Now, the story is not about the program. It's about the kids and the teachers who are doing this and why they're doing it and what it means that they're doing it. That's where the story is. Stories are almost never in the, in the what or the when or the where uh, or even the who. It's, necess it's in the why and the how. And that's what I'm, you know, if you can answer that question, then you've got a chance to tell some, somebody something they didn't know. And you, you have a chance to write a story that's timeless, you know, that captures a moment um, that's full of heart and it's full of emotion and it's full of joy. And sometimes it's full of sadness, but that's the way high school is. You know, you've got that full range of emotions and that's what you want to capture because that's the thing you're going to forget about, you know, and if you can capture it in words and in pictures too, but especially in words, you know, it'll it'll last a lifetime. Or you can just write these, you know, three paragraph kind of goofy things that are dead the minute they come out of you know off the screen. So it's your call. But um, now, but the, the, another part of this question is why is writing important? I'll tell you why. I was at a wedding about uh, three weeks ago, a friend's son, and I go to the, the groom and I said, well, I understand that you and your bride-to-be here are going to be exchanging vows. What, what are you going to say? And he goes, well, I don't know. I thought I'd just kind of wing it. <laughs> I looked at him like, <laughs> that is the worst idea I've ever heard. So I said, well, you know what? Let's just, tomorrow morning, we're going to get together and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk. And you're going to tell me why you're marrying this woman and we're going to write these things out and you're going to read it. Because if you just sit and wing it, it'll be a disaster. You know, um, he didn't he didn't really know how to write, but he knew how to talk. And together we came up with some pretty good vows. And there will be a time in your life when you're going to be required to say something. It's going to be a funeral, or it's going to be a wedding, it's going to be some event. And that's why it's important to learn how to write now, to express yourself today in your own words. 
so that you will be prepared when the moment comes to speak your mind. That's, you're never, when you're out of high school, you're not going to be writing any essays. You're not going to write any five paragraph essays about some critical analysis of, you know, Hamlet or something like that, unless you major in English somewhere. And then that's confined strictly to a classroom. But one, but there will be a time when you're going to need to say something, you're going to express yourself. And that's what you can learn to do through journalism. I don't know anybody else that really teaches you to do that. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of English teachers that do it. But I'm in, the ones I'm encountering, they're not, they don't have a very good understanding of that. Um, I teach a lot of girls these days. My classes, my writing classes tend to be eight to one girls at least, and sometimes more. I don't know what's going on with boys, but I know one thing, they're not learning to write and they don't read. And um, they spend all their time, you know, on computers blowing things up, I guess. And so um, I'm dealing with a lot of girls and they're really smart girls. But the problem is their writing is what I call smart girl writing. Is they take their natural, lovely, intelligent, articulate voices and they rearrange it into this sort of artificial Look at me, I'm the kid that always gets the little gold stars and the congratulations and wow stickers and all that kind of stuff. And it's just completely devoid of, of voice. And so what I'll do is try to make them cry. So they'll turn something in and I'll go, wait a minute, come here. Uh, I want you to read this sentence out loud. I want to hear you speak these words because I know there's no way in God's green earth you would ever say these words, and yet you wrote a sentence with these words, and I'll make them, I literally make them do it, and they kind of get, look at me sheepishly, and I go, why did you do that? And they don't have an answer. They're like, well, I don't, you know, da-da-da-da-da, I go, don't do that. What, what are you trying to say? Well, I'm trying to say that I hate my best friend. I'll say, well, let me tell you how to do that. Write these words. I hate my best friend. That's all you got to do. You don't have to use any AP fancy word, you don't have to use vitriol, and you don't have to use antipathy or any of that kind of stuff. Just say, I hate my best friend, and then go from there. So, um, that's, you know, that's the challenge right now, is to take kids who do want to write, and show them that they don't have to become writers. They just have to speak the truth in their own voice. And that writing will be better than anything else they will have ever done. And, um, but it's a challenge. And the kid, and of course, you, kids hear this all the time, and they don't believe it, but they don't read it now. Um, I was doing a session Sunday, and I was talking about idioms, and I said, "How many of y'all know what an idiom is?" And about half of them did. And then I would read them an idiom and say, "How many of y'all heard that idiom?" You know, "Don't put the horse before the cart." No, I hadn't heard that one. Well, you know, maybe you should be reading more. So, um, you know, <laughs> if this podcast lasts three or four minutes, you. We got a lot to put in there, so uh, that's 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 where I'm at these days. But honestly, I I love doing it. I'm I, I can't imagine doing anything else. I have a, an amazing talent for working real hard for little or no money. <laughs> so, and uh, that's just writing, writing the textbooks, speaking at conferences, stuff like that. We'll get back to more with our friend and writing expert Bobby Hawthorne for our final segment here in just a bit. Especially for Jostin Schools, if you're out there hopefully teaching your book, 
getting your uh, kids, your students to learn new things, improve their skills, and so on. Because, of course, again, when we're talking about yearbooking and storytelling, there's things that kids can learn in there that they can use in so many other places, in virtually every other class. If it's writing, working with photography, working with computers, teamwork, leadership, a lot of different things. Writing, 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 absolutely. If you do that, hopefully you do. We have some new curriculum materials just out recently. If you've somehow missed or didn't know about these, these are brand new materials that luckily for Jostin's advisors, you can get sort of a hard copy version, a traditional version, or we do have some of these materials now for you to check out, download and use directly from your Jostin's Yearbook Avenue website. So it's your choice. You can do the hard copy version or you can do the more digital version. New curriculum materials on photography, terrific there. Also on marketing and promotion, something that most yearbook staffs could use some help with. Also for InDesign and Monarch users, a separate new curriculum program just for you. And we also have a fourth one, which is especially, it's called a yearbook advisor guide. It's for anybody, but it's especially for maybe those middle school advisors or small group advisors, or maybe yearbook is just a club and you don't meet every day, you meet a bit sporadically, but you'd like some good materials and leadership on how to lead this group we have a special new curriculum just for that. So for Justin's advisors, if you want to check this out, go to the digital classroom, look for the link for the Grow Your No series. That's what they're called, and you will definitely grow your no. Your kids will grow their no, and all of a sudden you'll find yourself with a much better yearbook. Check out those curriculum materials, and if you're interested in more of the hard copy version, you can check the information on the digital classroom or certainly have a word with your Jostens representative. Now let's go to our final segment with writing expert and instructor, Bobby Hawthorne. Let's, um, since this is a yearbook interview, let's specialize just for yearbook. Um, I'm assuming there's a rookie advisor out there or there's an advisor, they just, they want to give their book an upgrade. They want to have a better yearbook. What are, when it comes to writing, what are the basics? for your book writing. In other words, if you're going to have a good book and you're writing, you need to do this. Better reporting. Be a better reporter. Ask better questions. You know, you can't write if you don't have something to write about. So when the kids go out and get their quotes and they ask them, first off, no text interviews, period, ever. The only time you use text is when you have something and you need to, to correct something or you need to add a detail where you text them and say, was that scarf you were wearing, was it red or blue? That's okay. But no text interviews because that, that just guarantees an artificial voice because then people are going to respond to you in an artificial way. I don't care if it's a teacher or an administrator or what. When you text them, you've lost their voice because they don't know how to write. They're not voice-driven in writing either. So you have to go to people, get their ask them questions and you have to get them, put them in a position where they can answer intelligently. A girl with a phone, with a recorder, going to a boy, standing with a bunch of other boys, asking a question, is just begging for a smart aleck answer. Because that boy's not gonna give them an intelligent answer because it's not cool. Because you know, hey man, look at me. She's asking me a question, I'm just gonna brush her off. You know, how many times have you seen that? I'm, about a billion. So you have to 
know who you're going to interview and have a reason for interviewing that person. And then you have to ask that person, you have to know why you're interviewing that person, what you're interviewing about. And then you have to isolate, ask a question that isolates a moment so that you're not writing about the game. You're writing about the play, but you're not even writing about the play. You're writing about what were you thinking during this play? Now you've got a chance to have something to write. You know, now you've got a quote that you can come back and then do something with it. But if you come back with all these, you know, platitudes, you know, um, you know, this year we all enjoy spring break. What did you do over spring break? I went skiing. I went to the beach. I slept. I did this. I did that. You got nothing to work with. You know, it, it, it writes itself, which means it's not, it's not even writing. It's just, it's data collection is all it is. You might as well just pop, copy something out of the phone book. Um, because it's simply, you've got to have the material to write. So the biggest problem is not writing, it's reporting. Reporting is so weak. But if you can do the reporting, then come back. And really, if you're a beginner, don't even write it. Just run it as standalone quotes. I th that's what I would do. And here's what I'd say to all beginning advisors. Survive. Just survive. Get through the first year. Get a book out on time, on budget. And then worry about anything else the next year. And then add a little the next year, and then add a little the next year, and the year after that. Eventually, you'll get there. But um, in terms of writing, um, for advisors, uh, I would... I'd love to say I, there is a magazine or a this or they that I would. There there is a book I I would suggest for young advisors, um, and it's a collection of 300 word stories. The stories were about every person killed in 9/11. Every story is about one of the people that one of the I don't know what 2,000 and something people. And these stories ran in the New York Times, and they've been collected. Uh, in a book called Portraits of Grief. And I believe all of those are also online. And that those stories are a perfect model for how we should be writing for your book. They are intimate. They're short. They're powerful. You can read them and honestly, you read two or three of them, you'll probably cry one of them. Um, I would almost use that as a perfect model for the kind of writing for your book. Um, your book is its own reality. You don't have to think of it as a newspaper. It's not a newspaper. It's not really a magazine. It's something else. And I think you have the flexibility to kind of create your own reality. All, that, all I care about is that you wrote something that's interesting and informative and ultimately timeless. If you can do that, and I'll say one other thing, every kid's not going to be a writer. So cut your losses. Find out who are the writers, who are the kids that want to do that, who are the kids who are the reporters, who are, are, are fearless. They go out, they're, they're welcome, to, they're happy to go out and talk to this person, this person, this person. A lot of kids just aren't going to do it. They can't do it. They, they just don't have it in them. Um, they probably make good editors. They, you know, they can always clean chalk erasers. I mean, I don't know what they can do. But they probably aren't going to be reporters and they may not be writers, so kind of cut your losses. But find the kids who can do it and then really... Free them up to do that. Um, work with them as much as you can uh, to just say, you are my writer. You come back with stories. That's what I want you to do. I don't need you to do anything else. You, this is your job. And um, if you'll do that, I think you can get three or four kids like that on your staff. You're in good shape.
recruit riders and then train them. Go to a summer workshop, a good summer workshop, where they are teaching journalistic writing. And most of them these days are. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first wrote The Radical Ride, nobody was teaching narrative. Nobody. I didn't, I, don't, I don't even know if the word was really used much back then. And now everybody is. So um, I'm pretty, I'm not going to take full responsibility for that, but I will say this. Nobody was talking about it before I talked about it in my book, not on the scholastic journalism level that I remember. Um, so, um, you know, maybe buy The Radical Ride. <laughs> that wouldn't hurt at all. All right, two free plugs, folks. Go buy the Radical Right. Okay, <laughs> go do that. Go to a bookstore, education website. Go find it. And then the other free plug, of course, our Justin's Advisor University workshop every mid-July. Yeah. Going to be in Orlando this year uh, again, or this coming year. Uh, it's fantastic. Yes. Best workshop in the country. Now, you and I have been journalists. Well, apparently, both of us since high school. It's a long, folks. That's a long time. And I'm going to assume there are some young people listening in. Bobby, what is the importance of just journalism in general today? Because it's, it's rather under fire. There's a lot of controversy today. If you want to call it fake news or any of that stuff, journalism is not the same, I don't think. Or is it the same? What is the importance for young people to say, I might want to do that for a career? Why should they choose it? Well, here's my advice for young people who are who ask me about a career in journalism. I'll say, do you have a plan B? And they say, yeah. I said, that's your plan. Because if you got a plan B, you're not you're not in enough today to survive in journalism and to thrive in journalism. You you got to be you know walking without a net. You know. Uh, because you have to be so committed to it that you, you can't imagine doing anything else. And uh, so that's number one. You have to be in it all the way. you got to build a great portfolio in order to get a good job. And even then you're going to be, you know, good luck on that. But we need journalism more today than in any time in my lifetime. At, at a time when we are seeing newspapers go out of business. But what they don't say is that for every newspaper that goes out of business, there's two websites, two news websites that come up. So just because newspapers as a print medium may be going away more often, we have lots and lots of other mediums that are coming up. So there are jobs out there for journalists. This whole fake news thing is a political invention. I'm gonna, I don't want to get too political here, but it is. When you don't like what somebody says, you just says it. Call it fake news. So, you know, I look just like Brad Pitt. And anybody who says or writes that I don't, that's fake news. So um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm suspicious of, of the people who spend a lot of their time bashing the media. And, uh, and when I think of the media, I'm, I'm thinking about the legitimate media. I'm not talking about 24-7 some of the news table stuff, and I'm not talking about a lot of the real, you know, uh, politically driven websites that purportedly present news, and it's all news through a filter. So I'm talking about Time Magazine, New York Times, Washington Post, you know, those big news institutions that really do hire trained journalists and send them out to do their job. Um, I just finished reading Bob Woodward's book, 
and it is a pretty stunning piece of work. And there's not a journalist on the planet that's more universally uh, acclaimed than Bob Woodward. I had to call. He couldn't create fake news if you put a gun to his head. Um, we need more Bob Woodward's. We need more Michael Lewis, the stuff he writes. We need, we need more truth tellers. We need people to pursue the truth. Um, my friend John Moore is a Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist, and he is right now in, in that bunch of people coming up through Central America. He spent the last 10, 12 years covering the, you know, the U.S.-Mexican border, and he had a book that just came out about it. And uh, he's a journalist. He also is a writer. Most people don't realize that he does. He's a beautiful writer. And it's this coupling of his amazing photographs. He took the picture of a little girl who was crying that ended up, she's crying as her mother's being frisked by border security. And it's the picture that was all over the news on the cover of Time and everything else. Um, he'll win the Pulitzer Prize this year. You know, we need more people like John to be out there and to say, this is true. Look. Here's what they said, but what they're saying it is for a reason. And the reason is not necessarily the truth. And this is the truth. And it's hard to say that one person knows the truth, but when you're standing in the middle of the crowd and everybody's walking with you, you can say, look at this. This is the crowd. Here we are. This look for yourself, you know. See it for yourself. So that's what we need them badly, you know. We're in a complicated, difficult, volatile time. And then so when people, you know, denigrate the work that reporters do, that suggests to me that they don't want reporters looking into what they're doing. Well, Bobby, I really appreciate you giving us some time today. This has been the fastest 40 minutes I've had in a long time. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation here. For folks listening in, again, the book is called The Radical Right, W-R-I-T-E, by Bobby Hawthorne. Absolutely check it out. If you have a journalism class or maybe just a writing class at your school, it's a book worth taking a look at. And apparently there's revisions coming. Um, so, But don't wait for revisions. Go get the book now. All right, Amazon or bookstore or wherever you are. And, Bobby, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it today. Well, we hope you got a lot of great information, inspiration, ideas, and tips from our friend and writing instructor, Bobby Hawthorne. Absolutely check out his book, The Radical Right. Now, Bobby did mention something about revisions. I assume that means a new book's going to be coming out at some point, or a revised book. And Jostin's again honored to publish The Radical Right. But you know what? Don't wait for the revisions. Check out the current book that's out there on the market now. You will not regret it. So many great ideas and tips that you heard here from Bobby, but also inspiration that your kids can put down on the page or down on the screen and immediately improve the quality of their writing, which again is something they're going to be using now in high school, in college, wherever they go. It's something that your yearbooking students, a skill they absolutely need to improve. Folks, we appreciate your time and thank you again for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast. <music>